Good morning, and thank you for joining us on 5 at 8. It's Tuesday, November 21st, 2023, and here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we will talk about a majority of European Union countries calling for stronger EU action to address the health consequences of climate change and the potential spread of vector-borne diseases. We'll also discuss China's efforts to de-escalate the Israel-Hamas conflict and its growing influence in the Arab world. Additionally, we'll cover Citigroup's reorganization plan, which includes job cuts and senior management changes. We'll explore how global inflationary forces are impacting Japan's economy and leading investors to reconsider their strategies. Lastly, we'll delve into a United Nations report that reveals the insufficient efforts of countries to tackle climate change and keep global temperatures at safe levels. Stay tuned for these top news stories of the day. Story number one. A majority of European Union countries are calling for stronger EU action to address the health consequences of climate change and the potential spread of vector-borne diseases, as reported by Reuters. Last summer's heat waves resulted in an estimated 61,000 deaths in Europe, indicating that countries' efforts to prepare for extreme heat are insufficient. In a joint paper, 20 EU member countries have urged the EU to increase surveillance of health threats posed by extreme weather, develop plans for climate-sensitive diseases, and strengthen early warning and response systems. The paper warns that without proactive measures, preventable infectious diseases could become more common in the EU. Climate change is increasing the risk of infectious diseases spreading into new areas, including Europe, as hotter summers and increased flooding create favorable conditions. EU health ministers will discuss the paper next week, and the EU is currently drafting its first climate risk assessment. Would you believe it, Linda, that the health consequences of climate change are already here and we're not prepared? Just look at Europe. Over 61,000 people died in heat waves last summer alone. That's a stark reminder that we need to step up our game. It's not just the direct impacts like heat waves, but the indirect ones too. The spread of vector-borne diseases is a major concern. The tiger mosquito, for instance, is now present in twice as many regions in Europe as a decade ago. It's worrying. Right, Linda. It's like we're playing catch-up with Mother Nature, and she's got the home field advantage. We need to get proactive, not just reactive. And it's heartening to see EU countries advocating for stronger action. They want the EU to increase surveillance of health threats and also draft plans for infections of zoonotic and climate-sensitive diseases. But Linda, it's not just about drafting plans, right? We need to act on them. We've all seen what happens when you drag your feet. Look at the COVID-19 pandemic. We need fire drills, not just fire plans. You're spot on, Mark. It's about turning plans into actionable strategies. And it's not just an EU issue. It's a global one. The health consequences of climate change don't respect borders. Yeah, Linda. And it's not just about the health consequences. It's also about the economic impact. The cost of health care is going to skyrocket if we don't tackle this head on. And guess who's going to foot the bill? The average Joe. There's a very real human cost to climate change. It's not just an abstract future concept. It's here. And it's affecting people's lives right now. It's time we treated it with the urgency it deserves. Story number two. In a report from CNN, China hosted officials from Arab and Muslim-majority countries to discuss de-escalating the Israel-Hamas conflict. 
Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi met with counterparts from Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, the Palestinian National Authority, Indonesia, and the head of the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Beijing described the visit as an opportunity for communication and coordination on de-escalation, protecting civilians, and resolving the Palestinian issue. China has been actively involved in finding a solution to the conflict and has been pushing for an immediate ceasefire at the United Nations. The conflict has also allowed China to strengthen its ties with countries in the Arab world and position itself as a key advocate for a two-state solution and an independent Palestine, as reported by CNN. Should we be surprised by China's increasing role in the Middle East, Linda? I mean, they've been expanding their global influence for a while now. This could be seen as just another step in that direction. Yes, Mark, but I think it's more complex than just a bid for increased global influence. China's approach seems to be different from that of the US and UK. They've been focusing on dialogue and negotiations, rather than taking sides outright. And whether we agree with it or not, it's a diplomatic approach that could potentially help to de-escalate the conflict. But, Linda, isn't it a bit concerning that China has not outright condemned Hamas? I mean, they've avoided even mentioning the group by name in their statements. It's hard to take their peace advocacy seriously when they can't call out a group that's been involved in violent conflicts. I hear what you're saying, Mark, but could it be that they're avoiding taking sides to ensure they can mediate effectively? It's a delicate situation, and outright condemnation could jeopardize their position as a neutral mediator. Sure, but, you know, Linda, it's also important to remember that China's approach could be more about their own interests than genuine peace advocacy. They've been strengthening ties with Arab nations, and this could be a strategic move to further that goal. That's a valid point, Mark. But isn't that the nature of international relations? Countries act based on their interests. It doesn't necessarily negate the potential positive impact of their involvement. Story number three. Citigroup is set to announce a reorganization plan that includes job cuts and senior management changes, as reported by Reuters. As part of the reshuffle, Spanish banker Ignacio Gutierrez Orantia will become head of the Europe cluster, overseeing cities' businesses in the region. The move is part of CEO Jane Fraser's efforts to simplify the bank and boost its stock price. Last month, Citi announced plans to reduce management layers and streamline its operations. The restructuring, as stated by Reuters, will split the business into two regions, U.S. and international, with cluster chiefs leading operations in different regions. So, this latest move by Citibank, huh? It's a pretty bold one. Simplifying the structure, cutting down management layers, and reshuffling the whole operation. It's clear they're trying to streamline their operations and give CEO Jane Fraser a more direct control over the bank. You know, this is a common practice in reorganizations, and often it does lead to a surge in stock prices. It's a significant shakeup, no doubt about that. However, it's crucial to remember that these restructurings often come at a cost. In this case, it's expected to result in job cuts, which can affect thousands of employees. It's a challenging time for the staff, and the ramifications can be quite significant. It's not an easy pill to swallow for the employees. And let's not forget about the senior management changes. It can be quite unsettling, especially for those who've been with the bank for years. But from a business perspective, these changes are often necessary to stay competitive and drive growth. It's a delicate balance. On one hand, you've got the need for operational efficiency and improved stock performance. On the other hand, 
There's the impact on employees and the organization's culture. It's a tough call, really. But we've seen companies navigate through these challenges before, and it'll be interesting to see how this pans out for Citibank. It's a big gamble, but if it pays off, it could set an example for other banks and businesses. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it unfolds. Story number four. Global inflationary forces are starting to impact Japan's economy, leading investors to reconsider their investment strategies. According to Reuters, as the Bank of Japan considers a major policy shift, international investors are focusing on higher interest rates, more generous dividends, and a revival in consumer spending. The predicted long-term inflation rate of 2% in 2024 could bring about a new way of investing in Japan. While Japanese stock markets have rallied, inflation creates a negative outlook for government bonds. Investors are increasingly buying Japanese bank stocks and consumer businesses with pricing power. Rising inflation may pressure companies to boost dividend payouts. However, Japanese inflation could negatively affect bond investors, and the Bank of Japan's yield curve control policy may come to an end. Rising yields could also strengthen the yen. Will you look at that, Linda? Japan's economy is finally seeing the light at the end of the deflation tunnel. It's a game-changer for investors who've had to play by the old rules of betting on stocks that profit from an aging population or a weakening yen. Now, they're tearing up their playbooks to focus on higher interest rates, dividend generosity, and a revival in consumer spending. And it's not just a fleeting change. Experts are predicting a long-term inflation rate of 2% by 2024. That's a big deal for an economy that's been grappling with falling prices for decades. Now, the Japanese consumers might feel more inclined to make large purchases, anticipating that prices will rise in the future. Precisely. And if the Bank of Japan decides to pull interest rates above zero for the first time in years, we could see an uptick in banks' lending margins. It's a whole new era for investing in Japan, and we're starting to see signs of that already. Heck, Japanese stock markets are rallying to their highest since 1990, with consumer and financial stocks outperforming domestic indexes. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? Inflation also means a bleak outlook for Japanese government bonds. The Bank of Japan has historically kept the bond market afloat by buying government debt to cap yields and keep domestic borrowing costs low. But with the shift in monetary policy, investors are wary of this yield curve control policy coming to an end. It's a double-edged sword. But let's not forget, this is a historic change. It's not every day that a country's economy undergoes such a seismic shift. Investors will have to adapt, and those who do so proactively could stand to make significant gains. Take Shigeka Koda, for instance, who's betting on Japanese interest rates to rise and has picked a Japanese bank as his largest position for the first time in his fund's 17-year history. True. It's a time of adaptation and transformation. Companies with the ability to pass on higher energy and food costs to customers, like convenience stores, are also likely to benefit. And on the brighter side, with inflation pushing companies to increase their dividends, Japan currently boasts the highest dividend growth globally, around 20% year-on-year. It's a silver lining for the investors in this transitional period. Couldn't have put it better, Linda. And let's not forget the potential for a stronger yen. If Japan moves away from its unsustainable easy monetary policy, we might see a stronger currency by 2024. It's a clear signal to investors to reconsider their Japan strategies and brace for a new economic landscape. Story number five. According to the New York Times, 
A United Nations report has found that although more countries are taking steps to tackle climate change, they are still far from making the necessary changes to keep global temperatures at safe levels. The report shows that 149 countries have updated their pledges under the Paris Climate Agreement. But even if all countries follow through on their plans, global greenhouse gas emissions would only be 29% lower by 2030. This would still result in a temperature increase of 2.5, 2.9 degrees Celsius by the end of the century, far exceeding the goals set in the Paris Agreement. The report highlights the need for more ambitious action to reduce emissions and calls for increased international financial assistance to support low-income countries in transitioning to renewable energy. Why, Linda, I see this report as a sign of progress, don't you? We have 149 countries that have updated their pledges to curb emissions by 2030. That's a solid commitment and a major step forward. Plus, the U.S. and China are suggesting to triple the amount of renewable energy worldwide. That's a big deal. Yes, Mark. But we're still not doing enough. Sure, the Gulf has shrunk, but it's still large. We're far from making the sweeping changes needed to keep global temperatures at relatively safe levels. Even if every country follows through on its stated plans, we're still looking at a significant increase in global temperatures. Well, there's no doubt that we've got a long way to go. But you gotta admit, it's a start. And we should celebrate the progress we've made. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Sure, Mark. But this isn't about building Rome. We're talking about a potential climate catastrophe here. We need more urgency and tangible actions. The report suggests that countries will have to rely heavily on still unproven technologies if we don't ramp up action this decade. It's not enough to make promises. We need to see them followed through. I hear you, Linda. But I still believe that we are heading in the right direction. The more we push for renewable energy and sustainable practices, the closer we'll get to our goal. It's a challenging journey, but we have to remain optimistic and continue to innovate. Optimism is good, Mark, but it must be coupled with action and responsibility. We can't just hope things will get better while temperatures continue to rise. And let's not forget about the developing countries. They're the ones suffering the most from the effects of climate change, yet their financial challenges make it difficult for them to implement renewable energy projects. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.